Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, colleague, and friend, Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you doing today? Doing well, ready to look back over this two-game road trip and see what we liked and didn't like and moderately liked. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a, that's, a, that's a great way to put it. So what do you uh, – our, our thing is called Start Bench Sit. Uh, we do that for our Monday pods. We are back after doing two questions to all last week. Caitlin, where do you want to go with this? Um, or, or actually, I should say, for, for anybody who has not listened before, would you like to give a quick intro onto what Start Bench Sit is? Right. So this is just like a new little podcast segment that we're testing out where over the past week's games, which in this case, we're just doing the prior two, we each pick a start sub sit, which the I start would be, yeah, no, yeah, same, same thing, same thing. So we each pick one of those and the start being, you know, really liked it. Sub being like, oh, we're kind of on the fence on that might want to see more and sit being like enough already. And we're just mm-hmm. going to go back and forth with what we picked. So I'm going to actually let you go first because oh. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit iffy on my start, Mark. <laughs> My start is there are two things um, that I'm uh, I'm trying to decide between which one I want to start, and which one to bench because they're very close. Let's just say this was not an ultra positive weekend of uh, of Pacers basketball. Um, that win against OKC on Friday may as well have been a loss. Felt like it was a loss having to watch that. Um, in some ways, um, I mean, Domas and Karras playing 43 minutes to gut out a game against a team without Shea Gilders Alexander for half the game. Like, yeah, that was a little rough. Um, yesterday was a game, to be certain. Um, I am going to start. The Pacers have a shooter. There is another shooter on the roster. Who do you think it is, Caitlin? Dwayne Washington Jr. It's Dwayne Washington Jr. Uh, one of the silver linings in watching the games has been Dwayne. Like, we, we can go back on it. I, I can't remember which. Yeah, it was when we did two questions too high, and we got a question about the young players on the team, and we ended up deciding not to talk about Dwayne. And I think with each passing week, I get a little bit closer to saying, yeah, I, I think I got to include Dwayne in there. Like, again, he has some warts for sure, but in terms of what he does, like bringing stuff as a movement trigger, like he's doing stuff off flare screens. Um, again, he's not like at the Justin Holiday or, or Doug McDermott level, but just bringing some kind of variety as a shooter has been massive. I mean, obviously had the huge 7-12 of 12 game against New Orleans, 3-6 of six against Dallas yesterday, 1-3 of three against OKC. Um, he's just looked good. Like, it, I, I don't know. I think he brings a good positive aspect. And again, like we've talked about with a team that is ranked, I think, 26th in three-point shooting still, um, pretty essential. So that is that's who I'm starting. That's a good pick in part because um, in the second game against Dallas, he did a few things and like admittedly um, Dallas had pulled most of their starters in the fourth quarter because the game was out of hand, but like he got a switch against Maxi and really went to work against him and got to the rim. And like, I know that you were picking him as a shooter, but just to show that he does have a little bit more variety, yeah. like Maxi can switch out. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's a pretty decent role player in that regard. And I was impressed there. And then something else that I would give him credit for is that, a lot of times on this team and, and not even just this team, this goes across, you know, sometimes you could see this in prior earlier seasons against when Joel Embiid gets doubled, but 
Um, sometimes it gets stagnant because people wait to cut around a post up until the defensive attention has committed when a lot of times it would be better if you cut ahead of that, anticipating that that attention will collapse. So it wasn't even Sabonis in the game. Ijax just caught it on the low block and immediately Dwayne Washington cut from the opposite wing and Dwayne hit or, and Ijax found him going to the basket. I can't remember if he got fouled or what ended up happening, but it was a positive result. And I thought that was a good instinct that he did that like, you know, relieving that pressure even before it actually came. And I'm not saying that they necessarily would have doubled him, but that they was on the move ahead of time. He also had another one where he was in the corner and came up and kind of faked like he was going to set a flare screen and then slipped it and went back to the rim. So I've seen some positive flashes from him. And yeah, they need as anywhere they can find shooting is to their benefit for sure. Yeah, 100%. Like you just said in general too, I think him, uh, especially after what I watched from him at Ohio state, I've been pretty impressed with what he does off the ball. Like I, uh, I mean, especially too looking at summer league, like I didn't quite think that he showed some of the off ball chops that he has now. And so I agree. It's been just very fun to watch. So uh, I'll shift it back over to you. What do you want to start for the week? Okay. So mine's kind of more conceptual and is almost going to contradict <laughs> somewhat of what you said. Oh no. Um, in that I just want us to be able to, can we just enjoy some elements of basketball? Like I can see why people at the end of that thunder game can like, yes, Shea Gilgis Alexander rolled his ankle in the third quarter. Yes. The Pacers missed several free throws. Yes. The thunder botched that wide open fast break attempt. I don't know why they passed out of a layup. Like those are all things that happened. But when you really look at that game, like the thunder are a pretty decent defensive team. They're 11th in defensive efficiency. Like Lou Dort was giving, which this will come up later in the podcast, Lou Dort was giving Karis Heck. Like that was really bothering Karis Levert that he was defending on ball. So Karis had a very inefficient night. Um, Duarte was kind of missing in action for reasons that we'll get into later on the pod and that, and he didn't have a very efficient night just as from the field himself. So when you look at it, like no Miles Turner, no Brogdon, Karis and Duarte really aren't contributing all that much. No TJ McConnell. Like they're missing a bunch of their top players too. And they go down the stretch and Sabonis is basically like carrying a massive load coming off four games off. And like you said, playing 40 minutes and we can like, I agree with you. I see your point. Like it's not necessarily a game that matters. You don't necessarily need him to rack up all those minutes in his first game back from an injury, but he did in fact do it. And Jeremy Lamb to his credit. Yeah. He made some big plays down the stretch. Are of that you game. stealing one of my things? I don't know, but like he had, he was actually in the gap and got a steal defensively. Mm -hmm. He went at Lou Dort in isolation and scored with his left hand. Like he had another and one, like there was actually like viable stuff from Jeremy Lamb in the closing lineup. And then of course, Justin holiday. And a lot of that can tie back to Sabonis as well. So, um, everyone else pretty much on the team needed to like go back to the hotel and go to bed without dinner. But like, I think that those three deserve credit. And I think that it's worthwhile to, um, to just be able to enjoy what they did in that game without like turning it into, Oh, this is what happens when you field a competitive team. Like you barely beat a thunder squad on the road and it's like, okay, but this wasn't fielding a competitive team. The Pacers were still playing a bunch of rookies and guys who have been out of the G league with Sabonis basically powering them over the top in that win against what, like I said, is a good defensive team. Yeah. I think I was probably a little bit too harsh looking back on it, but, um, regardless weird game uh very weird game um that third quarter was certainly an experience um so it's up to me to bench something now isn't it yeah uh well it's a substitute 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 and just to clarify again substitute is more like 
it's you're, there's, you're there's, iffy. You might want to play it sometimes. Uh, okay. Here's where here, here is where I'll go. Uh, the dropped and bobbled interior passes in both games. Because uh, on one hand, dear God, that was rough. It felt like every single wraparound pass or dump off was was dropped or struggled to get up. Um, but on the other hand, I was like, holy shit, there's like this many. And like it was like Karis was hitting a bunch of dump offs. Again, like we've talked about some of them are a little bit late. But um, I don't know. I felt like the team had a really decent interior passing or, or and even entry passing uh two games the the dropped balls though was uh was not as fun um so it's some some encouragement but also like ah you know actually being able to finish those would be nice or not having a turnover would be nice too but um i, I thought it was an endearing part of the weekend yeah that did show up in the third quarter against dallas for sure i feel like there was yeah. a couple in a row there where things went a bit haywire but I kind of felt like in that game in general that the team looked a bit gassed from the get-go yeah. and definitely after halftime, like after logging that many minutes and then being on the second night of a back-to-back and clearly like Dallas has won, what, 13 of their last 18 games. Yeah, their defense is cranked good. up and Luca looked completely different than he did in Indy. I mean, a lot of what they were doing yeah. looked a lot different than what was going on in Indy when their spacing was like ridiculous and I did, couldn't figure out what was going on, but yeah, that's a valid one. I mean, at least they were looking to make the extra passes. I mean, this sounds like our bar is very low, but, you know, <laughs> that's that's like, where we are. Um, mine is a little bit more complicated. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll have thoughts on it. My substitute is switching in general. Mm-hmm. Um, we can get into the entirety of what the defense was against Dallas. And I will say, like, I do think some of it was just flat-out fatigue. Yeah. But again, as we brought up on the prior pod with Goga, they started this game, and I, I kind of understand the defensive matchups a little bit more in this game than what was going on against Charlotte, but um, they start out this game, and they have Lavert on Brunson, Duarte on Dorian Finney-Smith, Torrey on Luca, Justin on Kristaps Porzingis, and Sabonis on Kleba. And I think we can all tell from that that the, pretty much the general idea was we're going to put Justin on Kristaps Porzingis because he's most likely going to be the main screener. Justin can switch out to Luca. Um, we don't want to involve Sabonis in that situation. So that's what they went with. Um, right off the bat, Christos Porzingis gets it in the post against Justin, uses a ball fake and is at the rim and scores. Um, some of the other switches, like I get it if you're switching one through four, especially on to Luca. But then the problem was, is Dallas was just still trying to get Sabonis into the screening action anyway. So it, it was basically like, okay, now Porzingis is going to screen for Kleba, and then the Pacers were switching that. And now Kleba is going to go screen for Luca. And what I really couldn't figure out was, and this isn't necessarily switching, but they would go through all that rigmarole, and then Justin or Tori would duck under that screen against Luca. Like, okay, now Sabonis is up in the screening action. Instead of like defending it straight up or going up and trapping at the beginning, they were ducking under and letting Luca shoot a three. And maybe that's what gamble they were willing to take. Maybe they were hoping it was going to be an off shooting night, but it clearly wasn't at the start of the game. And as the game progressed, it kind of felt like, and I don't even know if you'll remember this, but like two years ago when the Pacers were in Philadelphia playing and Joel Embiid was actually healthy in a game um, when Nate McMillan and Dan Burke were still coaching, they had to go through so many coverages in the game. Like nothing was working. He was turning the centers into paper mache. Miles was in foul trouble until they, they eventually reached the point where they were toes in fronting, which means they were actually having the big 
face guard Joel Embiid with their back to the ball because that's just how many straws they were having to grasp at. And that's eventually what it kind of started to feel like yesterday. And the weird thing was, is I had somebody from Dallas like direct message me in the morning and be like, Hey, you know, the Pacers defense has been bad for quite a while. And I was like, yes, I know. But like, it's been bad since the start of December. What, what, what do you think that they're going to do um, defensively in this game, especially with Luca? And I was like, well, my guess is, especially since they don't have miles is that they'll, they'll hedge and trap everything and play a ton of two, three. And as it turned out, they played like five possessions of two, three zone. And I counted up this morning and I believe there was like nine possessions of hedging, probably four of them were with IJACs. And like in their defense, the one in the third quarter, when it looked like Sabonis was just gas, like Luca turned the corner really easily and, and got past, past Sabonis and went to the rim. They didn't stop the ball. But when they went to that by the second quarter, there was a few times where they forced him into negative dribbles and at least made him pass out of it. And then they scrambled decently. So like, if it's me, I would have gone with that from probably, I would have gone with the show and the recover from the beginning, even though he is tremendous at passing out of double teams because he's, he's tall, big, strong, and, and he can whip those passes clear to the opposite corner, just because I would have rather somebody else beat me rather than just like, let's duck under screens with Sabonis and then let's switch stuff where he's just bullying us on the post against smaller guards or whatever. Like I just felt like they were giving up a lot of inopportune switches and just independent of Luca, why were they switching with Sabonis on Brunson? That was like five times. Why do you need to switch that? I don't know. So, so there's my thoughts on switching. You, you feel free to take that wherever you want to go. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I would say about the hedge and recover was like, I thought like there was a possession. I'm trying to remember when it was, I think it was in the second or early third quarter when Domas, um, it was like, uh, this month, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember what court it was, but it was it was Domas and and Karras involved in the screening action, and Domas did it perfectly. And this is not me just trying to single out Karras, but Karras's defense was like particularly bad the last two games. Um, like I felt like some of their reconnect, like I'll, I'll, I don't know, I just feel like there's been a tendency for for fans in general and just people in general to look at like, oh well, they hedged and Dwight Powell just got an open dunk, so clearly that's on on Domas. Like no. They were they were not doing an awesome job with rotating uh, the low man whenever the hedge was happening. So there was some stuff there that was a little wonky. But no, I agree. Like Dwight Powell had a wide open shot in yeah. the lane in the third quarter out of one of them. But again, like I almost would rather like yeah. you're a little bit late on. I'd that rather maybe, see Dwight Powell have yeah, to maybe Dwight down Powell lane. misses a five foot little floater versus you know letting Luca continue to do what he was doing because I mean it was basically like they were spamming them with Spain in the first half. And like the one when Ajax was in, they're running Spain. And typically, like just for people who may not know, most teams when they defend Spain actions are going to do one of three things. It's either going to be switch, 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 or you're going to drop the big. The big's going to recognize, okay, there's the back screen. They're going to hop around it. And then the two guards are going to switch. Mm-hmm. And in this case, like Ajax is out there and he switched onto the ball. Justin just stayed home on the back screener. And then Tori was trying to veer back into Dwight Powell. And that's how they got the one lob. So after that, that's whenever they're like, okay, well, we're going to start showing on that. And a lot of times if a team shows, then the back screener won't actually set a screen. They'll just leak. But Jason Kidd was still having him set the screen. And then Dwayne Washington was like kind of confused about, okay, well, now I'm the only one guarding two people and, and didn't quite, you know, hold as long as he needed to against Dwight Powell. But overall, like, Minus those few hiccups, like I said, at least there were a few where they forced negative dribbles and it was forcing somebody else to beat them rather than, 
you know, I, I, I joked with somebody beforehand and I was like, I'm setting the line for Luca scoring tonight at 39 and a half, because I just figured like, and in defense of the coaching staff, part of what they might've been thinking there is, is that like, I was somewhat surprised that Sabonis even played that game, to be honest, given that what his ankle situation was. And that I still don't think in either game that he looked like when he was running, that he was full motion with that foot. Like he didn't look like he was pain free during either game. So they might've been thinking, Hey, he played 40, whatever minutes last night. We're on the second night of a back-to-back he's back from an ankle injury. We don't want him having to jump up above every screen. So we'll cross match this, but that then became the other problem. Like, every, every, almost every position was a cross match between those two teams to start. So then the transition defense was also really bad with people trying to connect and not getting back. And and that's been kind of a unifying thing across like these last, you know, probably five games, I would say, but like, just, I mean, it's, it's, it shouldn't be funny, but it mildly was like probably their best defensive transition possession was in the second half. Whenever Lance turned it over, trying like through a wild pass to Sabonis and then he like just tripped over the Dallas logo and then the other person fell over the top of him and the Mavericks lost the ball. Like when that happened, I was like, it was vaudeville crap, but I was like, you know, that's probably the best transition defense they've played all night. Yeah. Uh, you're not wrong. They were getting absolutely murder in transition. Um, wow. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't really have any, but like I guess I will say, like you mentioned about the switching, it just was frustrating because like we know this roster, even I mean, there are cases like we talked about, like, okay, if you have Ajax out there with like Brogdon and, and Tory Craig and O'Shea, um, and then normally you have like one guy. I don't saying weak link makes it sound unfair, but like if you have Jeremy out there and you're switching, like you kind of do have a weak link, just to be honest. Um, his I mean, we've we've talked about his defense at length before. Um, even if it was better recently, like against OKC, I did think he had a pretty solid, decent defensive game. But I agree. Like if you're, I did not really understand much of the switching with 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 Domas out there. Um, I mean, I didn't really understand a lot of it. Like not to interrupt, but just no, period. Good. Because like even like in the Ajax minutes, like as what we said from the last pod that some of his reads need to get better on how close and far he's gapping the ball, and some of his blocks really made up for some other mistakes. Mm-hmm. I think he had three blocks in that game. Um, but like, it wasn't good defense leading up until those points. And yeah. like, he's switching out to Luca and he's just drawing fouls. Like, and that was a lot of it. Like it was Luca and I like picking his poison of who he wanted to put into that screening action, whether Sabonis was out there or not. And then guys were just fouling. So I feel like there are spots where they can be switching, but overall, they're just not very good at it. Like yeah. they're not very good at executing the switches. And then sometimes some of the ones that they're willing to give up, like I said, you know, I don't really know why you need drafting. to switch yeah. Sabonis onto Brunson, but um, in general, like a lot of it just needs really cleaned up. And I, I was a little bit surprised. I'm not going to say the zone execution has been good. Like clearly it hasn't been like when they played the Clippers, it, it was not, but I thought they would sit back in that a little bit more simply because uh what the back-to-back situation was so i was a little surprised that that was only like four possessions total for the game but sorry to have interrupted no no you're totally good um i guess i was gonna ask too i mean how are you feeling about isaiah out in in non-switch scenarios like when he you know when he was asked to hedge and recover those few times or um you know how he's looked in zone and or just figuring out more big man defense things oh I mean, it's, it's far from perfect. And that's not, 
that's not saying a lot because he's only 20 years old. Yeah, I'm not I, trying to be too harsh, yeah, but I'm just wondering. I think that there's him. reason why they're having him switch because mm-hmm. the, the the one or two Hazard recovers were okay. The one he got totally pinned by the back screen. Um, I think Brunson said it. And then, like I said, the initial Spain was not good. They, that That's up to the big to communicate and recognize that that's coming and then alert the other two guys to switch, and, and he didn't see it. But um, I thought he had some – so far, I think I would categorize what he does as mostly loud for reasons both good and bad. He either has plays that it. really stand out and you're like, you know, wow. And then he'll have plays that are like, oh, you know, he has a ways to go. And that's not me trying to downgrade him at all. Like, I understand why he's at the current point that he is. He hasn't played a lot and he's very young. So, um, oh, yeah, I think I'm that, in. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. No, I mean, I was going to say, yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. Like, I think the more that I watch him, I'm like, yeah, I think he's still a little bit of a ways away. Like, I like we've I know people are probably going to get annoyed at us because it's going to become like a new pod segment. But just hold some of your expectations back for Isaiah Jackson. I know it's very exciting watching him hit a, a three lifting from the corner, like stepping in completely in rhythm. I was very excited, too. That was great to see. But like, again, I just think there's a lot more that's going to have to happen for him to really solidify himself as being more of a comfortable rotation player. Um, but yes, I, one of the things I do want to point out though, not to get too far off track, but I really have liked his defensive communication. Um, you can tell how active he is in trying to make it, it, it happen. Like he's, he's always pointing things out and trying to um, stay engaged and, and keep active, which I appreciate it again, like we've talked about, it's not always, like you said, loud, and it just depends on the direction sometimes, but it has been really nice to see that. I think we can also spread off, branch off to one other slightly adjacent topic here before we get into our our benches. That um, What was your opinion? We talked about this before we got on, but what was your opinion when Terry Taylor was playing against the Thunder and not Ajax? Um, I was a little surprised. Um, you had told me before we got on that you would – that because uh, I didn't listen to the broadcast, but you mentioned that that Chris had said that he uh, um, Quinn Quinn oh Qu- Quinn my bad uh, that Quinn had mentioned that he you know was maybe dealing with a hip not injuries the wrong way to put it but he was just like a little bit banged up so he might have sat out um, which I, I think that makes sense to me but also too like um, I mean yeah Terry Taylor played in that uh, played in what what game was it the the Hornets game. Yeah, he played in the Hornets game, but it was garbage time, so it didn't really entirely count. I, I again, I'm not trying to get off track completely. I really enjoy the Terry Taylor experience. Um, so I feel like part of that was getting like, okay, let's get him reps because, I mean, for people who aren't aware, Terry Taylor has been like just about the best player in the G League this year. Like he's been absolutely killing it. Um, so I did understand it. You know, maybe wanting to give him some of those opportunities because he was doing a lot of the same stuff as Ajax, like kind of operating more as, as a big, um, they were switching a lot with Terry in there. Um, and he was doing, you know, similar things as a role man, uh, you know, being utilized in offense more similarly, I should say, um, where were you at with that? Right. So the thunder were small mm-hmm. and I don't know exactly. I mean, Quinn, Quinn just mentioned offhand that he had thought that he had seen something like with the hip during warmups. I don't know if that was actually a thing or not. When Rick Carlisle was asked after the game, he just said, you know, I thought the Thunder were small. We wanted to give Terry Taylor a look in that situation. Um, and then Goga had only played a couple minutes because of a foot injury. 
I, I didn't really have that much of a problem with it personally because he yeah. did. Uh, Terry has had a lot of really good games in the G League, especially here this week when he had 39 points or whatever it was. So it might have also been like a reward for the work that he's put in to give him that type of an opportunity. And when he came in, he is a little bit more polished at this point in time for those types of minutes. Like I'm not saying that he necessarily has as much upside, but like just as an example – which we're going to get into at least in my final segment. Um, Blue Dort was ducking under pretty much everything against Karras if the five man was the screener. So Terry Taylor comes in, sets a flat screen that let Karras get into the lane against his man. And, you know, nobody cared about O'Shea in the corner, unfortunately. So two people collapse on Levert and Terry then gets the rebound because he ha- is such a tremendous rebounder for his size and at his position. So I thought he brought energy. His defense wasn't perfect either, but um, I was okay with seeing him in those spurts for those minutes because Ajax has been getting minutes lately. And I think that there'll probably be more playing time that opens up for him over the back end of the season, whether with the Pacers or the Mad Ants. So um, I didn't feel the need to make a big, big deal about it, but I know that it was heavily controversial in the aftermath of that game. So, yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, do you want to talk about Terry for a second or do you want to wait till we're done with the, with start bench? I mean, start, ah, geez, start. So sit. Oh, we can go into our benches. Okay. All right. Um, You can go first. Oh, so much to, uh, to choose from here. What what would I like to bench? Um, this is a great question. I have like three things listed in front of me and I I don't want to negate anything. I mean, if you want to talk about all of them, we can (laughs) Do I really want to talk about all of them? Um, it's cathartic, Mark. Yeah. Um, man. I bet one of them is going to be mine anyways. So yeah, It's entirely possible. Um, I mean, on a, the honorary shout-out, because I feel like I have to talk about every game, Karras' defense just has, has been really rough. Um, I it just feels like anytime they start to string together a good possession, he just kind of falls asleep and – then buckets happen. So, uh, and again, it's not just him, but it was like particularly egregious against the Thunder. So that stood out to me. Um, my, I mean, what I have to say is O'Shea's finishing right now. Um, like it's, and I, maybe that's unfair, but it's just, it's so frustrating to watch because he's putting together some really good stuff off the drive, um, off the catch. Uh, but his shot hasn't been there recently. And more importantly, he just cannot finish off of the drive, which has been absolutely killer. Um, Like he had a one for seven outing against Dallas, three of eight against OKC. Um, It's not, I don't think it's as bad as the field goal percentage makes it look. I just appreciate that he's doing things quickly and trying to make it happen. But if he's not going to be able to get to a point where he's finishing like at least 40% of his drives or higher, and even then 40% of drives is not great. Like that's, it is just a lot tougher um, to envision him not being just completely run off the line. Um, and even then, like, I don't know if defenses are going to right now, defenses are not going to care enough to try and run him off the line. So it's just, it puts him in a very awkward position as a spacer um, or just play. I don't even like saying spacer because it's not as simple as that. Like, you know, what you do with the ball in your hands, it just makes it a little bit harder. Like he has drawn fouls, which is cool, but not at a, a rate that's necessarily high enough to make up for where he's at right now in terms of some of his, his qualms with the rim or maybe the rim has qualms with him after how that weekend went. 
Right. I mean, he adjusts his body midair in some awkward ways at times. Like he's a very aggressive driver, but just doesn't quite have the ability to put it together once he gets to the basket. I mean, one thing that can help him mitigate some of that is that he is the degree of cutter that he is. Yeah. I think he has pretty good instincts in that regard, but um, I was going to bring this up whenever we talked about the Suns game, but I'm sure that you saw it and I saw it when I rewatched the game, but I'm like, I don't need to clip it because the audio is better on this Sun fans clip. But um, I, I believe it was O'Shea in the corner at the time when this occurred that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Chris Paul. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chris Paul Sorry, looking directly. Yeah, yeah. Chris Paul looking directly at the Pacers bench and also to his teammate, but mainly to the bench and saying they can't effing shoot. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm not sure he's going to see a lot of hard closeouts, and that's not only limited to O'Shea. I mean, you can see this every game. It's like what I yeah. just brought up about Karis um, driving in in that situation. Like, there's pretty much always defenders loading up at the blocks and the elbows against the Pacers on drives or whatever else, and that goes back to their long-term need, not only for like the three-point percentage, but it's like I always bring up, and people are probably sick of hearing me say. You're only shooting like a lot of these guys are only shooting three or four threes a game. It's not even so much whether they can hit the shots as much as how much people care about them when they're not shooting the ball yeah, exactly. and whether stuff is open. So that's kind of where the pro- the problem is for the Pacers in terms of credibility with some of the spacing that goes on and not only just like movement shooters or whatever else, but how close and how many steps off people are willing to take. So um, I don't know how often O'Shea will get run off. I think the whole team is kind of has a problem in certain circumstances where they want to overpass weirdly. Like there'll be a drawn dish from Sabonis and you could do like a quick twitch three. And instead it's like, no, I'm going to put the ball on the floor and then try to put teams in the blender and drive a kick for three more times when you, you know, you could have taken the earlier open shot. And like, that is one thing, like they miss a lot of things about what healthy Victor Oladipo was, but that's something that they definitely miss because Victor Oladipo made very, quick decisions, whether he was in the pick and roll or in a situation like that. Like I'm either rising up or I'm making a drive and making the next play very quickly. And they don't have a lot of quick twitch operators around in that, that type of setting. But yeah, I totally get where you're coming from with the O'Shea and the, the driving, because, you know, even if he had, which I mean, his three point percentage has fallen off here from where it was a few weeks ago when he was one of the only two people that was shooting above 35%. We shouldn't have mentioned him on five. Yeah, I, 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 no shot. I no him. farther than the IC. But, um, to, to make him more complete, that certainly needs to be yeah. somewhat of a part of the game that he continues to grow from, but I'm, I'm going there. I'm just going to say what mine is. I'm sure you're going to agree with me, but we need to have a conversation about Karis Levert and the spread two man game that was going on these last, like, I don't know how many games and continues to go on. It's fine. Like, I mean, down the stretch against the Lakers, when he went on the heater and had the 22 points, like it made perfect sense to keep going to the hot hand in part because the Lakers were guarding that pick and roll with Carmelo Anthony in a drop, like, and, and Karis was making all those shots, keep pressing the button, but against the thunder. And I am part sympathized with the coaching staff and the Pacers in general, because it's not as if they have a lot of ball handlers who can make plays right now. And he's having to play primary. And I think from now, from what was reported a year ago, when it was like, oh, the Pacers think Karis LeVert can be the point guard of the future. Like, I think we can probably let that go. Like, I, I, he just plays probably. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he just plays with his head down way too much. 
But beyond that is, you know, so Lou Dort's guarding Karras in that game against the Thunder. And basically there was two things going on. If they involved Sabonis in the screening action, then Dort was just ducking under, which is why Karras was taking so many of those little pull-up shots and not getting into the lane. And then the few times when he was getting into the lane in his defense, it was a scenario that I explained before. Like people were pulling over because they didn't care about the shooters. And then he was forcing up some like little squeeze shot that also wasn't going in. So what they went to to try to combat this is, and this is in part why Duarte wasn't getting as many shots as he had in prior games, is they were basically picking, like if it was Trey Mann or whoever it was, like, okay, Duarte, you go set a cross screen and spread two-man game up at the top for Levert, and then they were switching that. So now Dwart's, Dwart's off of Levert, and now he can attack in space. The only problem is, like, Karras has not been making these shots. So, like, I don't need this many possessions of Karras just trying to go at somebody in the middle of the floor. Cause then they did the same thing against Dallas, like Duarte screening for him or Torrey Craig screening for him. And it's not even just like they're into quarter stuff when they're one, four flat, like it's happening in other possessions of the game. And in part, it's like, okay, you don't have a lot of guys who can create your own shot. You don't have a lot of ball handlers, but a little bit of that can go a long way, especially given how he's looked since he's returned from the calf injury. I mean, his field goal percentage is really, tapered off here and he's taking like a ton of shots like what was he three of 19 against the thunder and i don't remember what he was against the hornets but um that possession at the end of regulation i don't know my eyes might have rolled back into my head i don't know how many times when he tried to isolate ludort like they didn't even get him off of him he held and dribbled out the air and the ball until there was about five seconds left until he finally was like well i've hit a brick wall so i'm going to throw this grenade to jeremy lamb to try to attack with three and a half seconds and jeremy has to take like an eight foot running floater that has no chance and then karis gets the rebound and jeremy is wide open at the top of the key like here i am here i am and karis backs out to take an isolation three like that, like, I don't want to be too harsh, but that might've been one of the most selfish plays I've watched somebody have all season on this team. Like, where are you at with ISO Karras? Uh, I think I've seen enough uh, this season. I mean, like you're mentioning, I mean, it goes into like, we're talking about the, the, the non-shooting on the team in general. Like, uh, I, I mean, to an extent, you can't just completely spam empty corner pick and roll all the time. But if you were going to, if you wanted to, use spread Karras this often at least do it from the corners so that they can't completely load up in the box on you. Like it's like trying to run, you know, like, uh, I mean, it's like having your running back 15 feet behind the snap and just running right at, at a, at a fully stacked defense. Like you just don't do it. It doesn't make sense. And I mean, like you mentioned, he's shooting 32% from the field, uh, in the last four games. And that seems generous almost like it's just, it's been very rough. Um, yeah, and decision making has been rough too. Like there was a play, and again, I'm not just trying to single out Karras, but like in general, the team is getting really frustrated with each other for passing. Oh, yeah. Like there was a there was a play where Karras uh, um, it, the it, was, one it was a spread pick and roll play. He passed to his right, and Justin hadn't uh, relocated um, in the slot, and it just went flying out of bounds. And that's happened. Like, I mean. I feel like that's every player's doing that. Like, it's just, it's not just one guy. They're so off page with, with one another. Yeah. And that was totally on Karras. And yet he ended up like railing on Justin the whole yes. way down the court. But yeah. Um, yeah, there was a couple moments of that, but what you're pointing out is accurate. Like the problem was if they, even if they had been running spread pick and roll with, you know, Terry Taylor on the side or Sabonis on the side, like Dort was still going to duck under, which was going to yeah. prevent Karras from getting into the lane. 
but they did run one on the side with Justin that allowed him to get a switch. And then he did, he powered up and went to the rim and they never really went back to those uh, side to side screens in that way. Like a lot of the times it's to get him isolations in the middle of the floor where, like I said, you're seeing spread two man game at the very top of the key. And then he's just driving into a collapsed defense and that's not going anywhere. And like, I know that there's been a lot of calls to start Lance Stevenson instead of Karras, and there's no way you're going to do that. Like, I, I, I'm i sorry, but, like, you're not doing that before the trade deadline. That would send such a message. Like, I don't know where they are with what, you know, deals they are aren't negotiating with other teams, but that would send such a strong message if you were like, oh, you know, we're going to start Lance and bench Karras Levert, and Lance has been playing for the Grand Rapids Gold this year. And like, and quite frankly, like just by comparison and somewhat in defense of Karras, like Lance got defended by Lou Dort for, I think, three possessions in that game. Like he wasn't being defended in the same way. He wasn't facing that, that same type of coverage. So um, he probably was going to come in and look a little bit better. And I don't know if the argument is, oh, well, just start Lance and let Karras play off ball. Like, I don't see that as a very viable solution to be playing both of them at the same time. And then with how much switching they're doing, like if you're playing Kiefer, then you're just you're creating even more defensive issues than they already have, which are innumerable, as we've already discussed. So um, you'd have to play Kiefer off the bench as backup one, and then you'd be having to you know do all this assembly at the other end. So you know, I don't know where are you at with the Karis Lance dynamic? Yeah, I mean I'm right there with you. There's no way in hell that they can start Lance or anybody over Karis. Like, um, as much as we can talk about how we think it makes more sense, like. In in an, uh, on a more ideal competitive team, it's probably best if Karras is coming off the bench. Like just given the way that his his game works, um, I don't know. I I, I think I've gotten. I, I wasn't there a month ago. I think I'm there now. Um, and it's not again not meaning to be harsh, but just point being like I mean, I think this speaks to a larger thing too. Like the Pacers reportedly asking for two first for Karras Levert. Can we can we stop with that? Like, I, I do not see how any team is going to make that happen. Again, that's not to, to rail on Karis, but that's like you're asking for two firsts for a star player, and that's it's not where Karis is at right now. Um, but, again, point being, like, you, you cannot bench that guy. If you're trying to trade somebody, you can't bench him. And, and like we talked about too earlier, like, that's what makes the OKC, the OKC game kind of like, ah, like, okay, well, yeah, we can't really – not that we can't play Isaiah Jackson, but like we have to take this game seriously and still play our guys because we are trying to trade Karras. We are trying to trade Jeremy Lamb. Like we can't just not play him and just go full development or whatever and sit these guys. Like that's not how it works. So um, that was a really long rambling, but yeah. No, no. And I don't know if you knew this, but um, Jeremy Lamb was plus 19 in that game. Jeremy Lamb was good in the OKC game. Like that, I actually, that was almost my start, uh, was Jeremy Lamb's second half and OT against OKC was my, uh, was, was my second option for start. I said that somewhat tongue in cheek because I almost created a game for you for this podcast where I would do two truths and a lie and I would come up with, um, <laughs> I would have post- told you it was a lie, but <laughs> not by much. No, no, no. I would have come up like that was an actual post game comment. Like I think like when Rick Carlisle was talking about what guys did, like, I think he brought up Jeremy first and then said at the end that he was plus 19 in that game. I don't think anybody like Mark fine. I hope that you found somebody who loves you as much as Rick Carlisle loves single game plus minus. He is a very big fan, which I uh, find a little bit uh, perplexing, but you know, we won't have to dive into that one right now. Uh, But yeah, 
but um so yeah i mean jeremy definitely had a good uh good performance in that one but back to lance another thing that i wanted to ask you about like if lance isn't going to start and i can see reasons why he isn't i've also seen that like and i think that sabonis might have even brought this up at practice that he likes playing minutes with lance for reasons that showed up obviously in the game against the jazz and other stuff but i looked up this morning and in the games when both of them have been available Lance has played over 60% of his minutes with Sabonis. So it's not like they're not getting court time together. Like they did trade off a little bit in that first half where they weren't in together during the small ball lineup when Terry Taylor was out there. But I think that was mostly because Rick just wanted to have switchable bodies out there. And Terry Taylor was setting some decent screens in those minutes. So um, I haven't been as hung up about that either. I just think that right now it's, it's a weird thing to do where you kind of have to look this team through the lens of look there's a lot there's of people. six different lenses yeah yeah i mean it's not even like exactly like are they trying to i mean i think that they the coaching staff and the players are trying to win every game i i, I just think you know that's just what it is they're competitors they want to go out and win but also they do have the trade deadline is you know 11 days away and so you're not going to diminish Karis's value by benching him um, even though Jeremy did play very well, there's also reason to be playing him, you know, and, and making sure that he's getting minutes and, you know, also talking about how well Justin played after the game, which he did. Like, that's a whole nother thing that we could have used as the start segment, like how good the two man game was between that's another one I had yeah. between Sabonis and Justin, because it's evolved to the point where I've even felt comfortable with like Justin making passes off of dribbles these last two games. Like it's, it's looked really sharp and good and, and, outside of even just like veer screens and dho's like they've they've done some of the more doug mcdermott type like things so um there was reason to say nice things about all of them but there's also reason why you know i'm sure they're playing certain people in certain roles when they are selfishly like i really don't want justin to get traded because i would like to keep watching him with indiana oh yes such a fun and good player but also just for like justin's sake I really want him to be on a contender. Like he is, I like more people need to know about how good of a player Justin Holiday is. He's not going to win any awards or anything like that, but he's just, I, I mean, like this team would legitimately have lost quite a few games without him this year. Um, they would have lost that so one. To watch. <laughs> he definitely would have lost that one. Uh, what, like, what was he? Uh, I think it was in the New Orleans game. He had like, what did he take? Like 14 threes? Or no, that was, uh, it was Phoenix. I think he went seven of 15 from three. Like he's just been. Like if, if, if they did not have the Domas Justin two man game, I don't know what their go-to mode of offense is other than Karis ISO or Karis spread pick and roll. Like it's, it's dire. It is very dire, but well, I'm just trying to imagine it again. You don't, we don't know what direction the team's going in, but like, you know, that rumor that's out there that Justin for two seconds and I, I don't begrudge getting draft capital necessarily, but like, I'm just trying to imagine the degree of how hard everything else is going to be. If you now have no movement shooters Yeah. and, and no, and and it isn't even so much that Justin necessarily always draws a lot of gravity. He has these last few games where you'll see, you know, an extra, the passers defender kind of coming off and, and brushing up to him and, you know, three meeting of three situations where he can make a pass to Sabonis out of when he catches off a pin down and then he can make a pass. That's been a little bit more prevalent lately, but I'm just really trying to, imagine what that's going to look like if you no longer have Justin holiday on the roster, right? Because, you know, in that sense, he can help other people 
develop to a degree because it's going to be easier for them to do things. Yeah. So, you know, I guess you have to take the value you're going to get if you want to improve the team, but. Oh yeah. I'm right there with you. It's a, it's such a funky um, thing to look at. And I think I've got, especially more over the last couple of years, I've, I've really tried to understand that better. Like, I think that's uh, among some of the other reasons, like part of the reason why I felt like the process didn't not, I can't say that it didn't work because that will upset somebody in Philadelphia, but um, like you have to have good, competent veterans or not even just veterans, but good, competent role players who have been around who can like put your, put your youth in ideal situations, like, or, or the proper situations for development. Cause even just like not to get too nitty gritty or granular, but like, I don't know, Houston just trying to make Kevin Porter Jr. a primary ball handler out of nowhere is just kind of like, well, it hasn't worked. You can't really just say, okay, you're a primary now. Well, I mean, I guess you can, but there, I, I don't know. And without having the proper means to actually, you know, get this guy the right reads and have the floor properly spaced so that he can get more accustomed to, to finding some of these reads. Like, it's not, you know, the paces are in a different direction with that, but you get what I'm saying. Like, it's just having good players is good. So it makes it a lot tougher. I, I always get a little bit frustrated when, um, people bring up all oh, the timeline, the timeline, the timeline. First of all, I have no idea what the timeline is for this team. I don't really think there is one. Second of all, I just think that age gets kind of overrated in the NBA. Like it's more about, are you good right now? Are you going to be good next year? Like that's, that's really all we're at right now. Like there's a lot more to it for sure, but having good players is good. That I think is my biggest thing that I'm, I'm trying to get off. Well, yeah. I mean, even just a more like, this is probably going to be over simplified, but I mean, Evan Mobley and summer league. You know, the, the Cavs summer league team, I, I'm sure, I mean, you were there, you watched them. Like, they didn't have people to play make with Evan Mobley, really. There was like he, no he, pick and roll ball handler. Right. So they like, were and, running and, offense through Lamar Stevens. So imagine if, like, Cleveland was still going full rebuild. I mean, I, I don't think anybody anticipated how, how good they've been so far this season. But imagine if they were doing, like, what you're saying, like a process situation, and he didn't have somebody to, you know, run those types of actions with how much does that impact his development? If, if that isn't there, mm-hmm. like those types of situations, I think are completely valid questions to ask depending upon what the Pacers do. But um, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about from these two games? Uh, did I have anything else I want to talk about from these two games? I think. Do you have anything else you want to add? Cause I think if you do, I might have something to riff off from it, but right now I don't have anything else that I want to add. No, other than, I mean, it's kind of hard to talk about the Pacers. Hopefully people still enjoyed listening to this podcast. I feel like everything becomes so muddled when you're trying to evaluate the team. But um, nice to have a break from trying to, you know, the weekend talking points of relitigating the Paul George trade and whether that set the franchise back strangely. And then um, conversations about uh, one quote from the Bob Kravitz Wizards article where he was more or less like pushing back. I mean, did you read that entire article? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just for people who don't know, Bob Kravitz did a Q&A with the beat reporter from The Athletic from Washington about the idea that the Wizards, which I mean, we could have talked about this. I guess Bradley Beal over the weekend was liking tweets about Sabonis, but um, the idea that Sabonis could get traded to to Washington and what would the wizards need to give back. And Bob Kravitz essentially says like that he 
if he were the Pacers, like he wouldn't trade Sabonis, he would try to counter with Miles and then said, but if they are going to do it, like you'd want to do something in the mold of like Dale Davis and them getting back Jermaine O'Neal of like a young guy who could pop and then mentions that, you know, Herb Simon may not necessarily want the team to go for draft capital, but that doesn't mean that Kevin Pritchard won't. And that got a lot of play yesterday. And I felt like the full context of what was being said there wasn't necessarily taken into account, but you know, Hey, we even had like hot mic segments on Valley sports when they came back from commercial breaks where you could hear in the background. Well, if, if, if they trade Domas, so yeah. who knows? And then it who cut, knows? Um, yeah. Keeps us on our toes. That is for sure. Uh, well, Caitlin, this was an absolute blast. Uh, do you have anything else that you want to get off your chest, basketball related or non-basketball related before we get out of here? No, other than you might enjoy some of these games more, as I have found in the last few days, if you just aren't on Twitter. Like if you're just watching them through your own lens without everybody constantly being smug and angry, there are some enjoyable aspects, even though the, the team as a whole feels purgatorial until the trade deadline. That's my recommendation to everyone. I think that's smart. Um, well, we have the last game of the month tomorrow against the Clippers at Gainsbridge. What are you most excited to see out of this game? They played the Clippers recently, did uh, did not go very well. Um, was certainly one of the weirder games of the season. What do you want to see in this game? That's something. Yeah, that was, I mean, Nick Batum career high? I think it was a career high. It was at least the season high. It was close to a career high. Um, but yeah, what are you hoping to see tomorrow? Or I guess mean, today I guess, this is coming out. I guess just overall development from the team as a whole and what they're doing defensively. I mean, this has been an issue other than you and I giving them some praise after that Laker game. Cause I did think schematically they did some good things in that game. Mm-hmm. Like this has been an issue pretty much since the start of December, if we're being honest, where it just feels like they're really grasping for straws and not so much having a defensive identity. And this kind of speaks to the wider problem of the team. It doesn't really feel like they have an identity necessarily at either end of the floor, but especially not defensively other than just trying to scheme for whatever their opponent's doing. And I don't think that's necessarily always a bad thing, but I think that it has created confusion for the overall team defense. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of a buzzword that you and I use a lot, a lot of connectedness on that end of the floor because they are trying to do so many different things. So in that game against the Clippers, unlike what they did against Dallas, they played a lot of zone and ended up trying one, three, one kind of strangely with Batum running the baseline at the end of that game and really lighting them up. So if they go back to the zone, you know, it's just got to be baby steps with this team, especially with some of the younger guys. Can we see development and what their responsibilities are within that? If they're going to do switching because the Clippers a lot of times do play smaller with a lot of wings, can, can those switches be executed better? And then because Marcus Morris always seems to go off against them every single game, like if you're going to have to come over there and double, can you rotate out of those double teams better than what we saw in the prior game? So it's just little small things like that. I mean, even going back to the little thing I wrote about Duarte, like their defense was not good in that game, but at least I could see after halftime of, hey, they were getting roasted on high-low action with Jonas Valanciunas and how they weren't being aware of the high-low cut even happening. They come out at halftime and, and Duarte was splitting his focus between both of those things and 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 using his off-ball awareness to get steals. So um, I kind of look for that stuff with most of the players on the roster and just see if they can continue to take any strides because I do think that over the, especially over the last like three weeks that they've had probably the worst defense in the NBA. And of course, some of that's skewed when you give up 150 plus points to the Charlotte Hornets, but still. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, 
I'm really interested to see how they do some things lineup wise uh, because they figured, I mean, they, they, they played it much better as the game went on, but Avicii Zubac like tore them a new one in the first quarter last time. Um, and then Batum, like you mentioned uh, in, in the corner and roaming baseline was, uh, was an experience for this team last time. So uh, if I remember correctly, it was a very Goga heavy game uh, that first time around. So I'm interested to see how, this looks with maybe not Goga, considering they're still dealing with the foot injury. Um, it would probably be a tough Ajax matchup, but we'll see what happens. I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I mean, some of the stuff with Zubots and with uh, who was it, Hartenstein? Yeah. That, like, I don't really think that because they were doing a lot of hedging in that game by the second half. And it's like, you know, you don't have to. It's weird because I just said that they they try to adjust to opponent, but in certain circumstances, it's like they've decided they're going to come out and hedge, and it's like you don't need to fully commit to Isaiah Hartenstein on the short roll. Like you don't need to completely uncover the corner. You can gap him a little bit and give him space, and if he does, like if Zubats does make some of those little floaters early or Isaiah Hartenstein does, I think that's the thing that you're willing to give up and you just kind of live with that yep. rather than getting completely torched because you don't have the shooters to keep up with that firepower. They just don't. So you got to decide from a math perspective, you know, wh what types of shots are we going to be more willing to live with? Yeah, no, most definitely. That will be a, uh, it, something to, to look for tomorrow that I'm sure we'll get to talk about on, uh, on Thursday. Uh, well, Caitlin, this was an absolute blast as always. Um, to everyone listening, thank you for listening. Actually, I do have one last thing I want to <laughs> ask you. Um, how do you just because this ad keeps popping up on my basketball reference tab that I have open? How do you feel about this new Coca Cola coffee? Like, what are we doing here? Why? I did why not even this, know this was a thing. Positive to say about this because I sure as hell don't. Well, strangely enough, I don't like either thing. I do not. You drink, don't. You don't drink coffee. I don't drink coffee of any I could kind. Not function without coffee. I oh do not God. drink coffee of any kind, and I don't like regular Coke. The only thing that I do like of Coke is if it's an icy form. I like a Coke. You icy. like Coke ices? Oh no. You Those don't like Coke Those ices? are the worst ices. Coke ices. Well, are the there worst is ices. no such thing as a bad icy. Like Coke ices is pretty bad. Well, that's because they don't make enough of the good ones. Like, it's very rare if you find, like, a Mountain Dew Icy or a Sprite gotcha. Icy. I just like, like, the actual – so, I, actual Icy brand Cherry Icy's are the best. Like, those we, are the greatest things of all time. You, the person who doesn't like red food coloring. I don't like red food likes coloring. Likes a Cherry like that. Icy. That's, but, that's great. It's amazing. I can break the – I'll break my own rules if I want to. I can, I can do that. Um it's, you know, it's a speaking of ads, if we're going to bring up random beverages, like I have no interest in ever drinking a Coke coffee. So we can probably leave that there. Like, yeah, it sounds like two of us. I it sounds sure. like, you know, two, two evils don't make a good thing. But yeah. um, another ad that's been popping up on my Twitter account or was earlier in the week, um, raspberry lemonade Mountain Dew. How do we feel about that? I have something to go off of with this, too. Uh, I. First of all, I don't like Mountain Dew. I'm like normally just an anti-soda person. Um, like I like cherry Coke like once or twice a month, but outside that, I'm just really not a soda person. Raspberry lemonade, I like. Raspberry lemonade Mountain Dew is just doing too much for me. I think that's that's overkill. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Like You're I'm with intrigued. you. I, I don't drink much soda of any kind. 
I pretty much only go to it if I have a migraine because I want caffeine and that generally mm. helps and Mountain Dew has a ton of caffeine in it. So that's probably, sadly, my pain is why I like it probably, <laughs> but I do like raspberry lemonade and I will probably try this at some point if I can find it somewhere. But, um, yeah, Minute that, made raspberry uh, lemonade. The, one the, the problem that I've encountered life. though, with the soda drinking, because I really don't drink it is ever since Giannis won the championship and went to Chick-fil-A and ordered the half and half with the yeah. Sprite and the lemonade. Have you had that? I've not. I, uh, I should try that, but no, I've never done that. Yeah. Like I've, I've bought simply lemonade at home and I've had Sprite and now all the time I want that. And I blame Giannis for this <laughs> problem. Funny. I really do. He's Did increased you, uh... my sugar intake. Oh, you're gonna blame you're gonna blame uh the MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo for your sugar intake. Okay. I'm I'm very <laughs> I'm impressed. He's impressing on me as a celebrity endorser. Of oh, an item okay. Mark. That's what it is. That's what it is. Commercialism. Okay. How did you did you do you have a reaction to you you know you haven't been on Twitter so you probably missed this. Did you see the video of him eating Qu- Quaker, uh, Quaker steak and lube? Uh, uh wings after after the loss to cleveland he just has a bucket no i of have not seen this i have oh not my god i'll send it to you literally the game uh they will they lose the game to cleveland in a blowout and he enters this press conference opens up a, a, a giant tub of wings and he gets asked what went wrong tonight he's like we suck and then he, he sees his wings. It's, it's hilarious it's amazing um it's it's good and it's honest this is why we need exactly more. this is why we need more Giannis. that's that's how i feel too have you ever had those wings? Um, I haven't. Uh, I've been told by people um, who are from out of town that they're the best post game wings, which I didn't know that was a thing. I don't. I'm not really a wing person personally. I, as this was a hot topic last year that sparked many of our conversations on the pod. I don't really mess with bone bone in wings. I think they're too messy and just a lot of work. So I'd rather just have a boneless wing. Tastes as good if not better um it's an easier vessel to getting sauce so um, i wish i could disagree with you i wish i could i find them to be too much effort and i think that yeah. they're pretty overrated personally yeah. uh, this is a very controversial opinion and i We're don't know if you, i don't know if you knew but our most recent podcast critique is that we agree too much <laughs> I, I don't think that. that we can help it i don't think that we can help that we just have so many similar food opinions and basketball opinions it's just yeah. who we are it, it's it is who we are okay last thing that i have you you were you brought up mountain dew did you see that there is now a mountain dew hard soda i guess it's got zero sugar and five percent alcohol so i don't really know how you make those two things happen obviously there's like sorbitol and stuff like that but uh thoughts on that because i think this is this is just dangerous it reminds me too much of four locos um and I think this could be problematic for the country. <laughs> is it? I think it's the Baja flavor, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it the, yeah, it's, it's Baja the Taco Blast, Bell Baja flavor. Hard Baja Blast, which and, I don't like Baja Blast anyways, which will probably also get us canceled. But see, now, now we can give the people what they want because I strongly disagree. <laughs> with that. The Baja flavor is good, and not only is it good, but you can get an icy version of Mountain Dew Baja Blast at okay. Taco that's Bell. actually they have good. a freeze, and it, it's very good. So. Um, it's just this, I, the, the taste is too strong for me. Like, it's like, have you ever had blue carousel before? All right. I am really sorry about that. My internet cut out last night when I was recording with Caitlin. Uh, so that is why it cuts off right there. We were having a really great conversation. We probably could have gone on for forever, but I'm going to close it out now. 
Thank you for listening. If you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Shoot us any questions, comments, anything. We really want to hear from you and get your feedback. We're really enjoying doing this new pod format together, um, but we want to hear from you guys as well. And most importantly, just thank you for listening. Have a good rest of your day and, you know, enjoy the week.